0: Well, good morning. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the subject of the foreknowledge of God. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to 1 Peter? Uh, 1 Peter and chapter 1. Just while you're doing that, uh, I was uh, away last week and have been away uh, this week for uh, two days. Uh, last week I was in um, Whitchurch uh, speaking there. It's interesting that when I go to Whitchurch, they always give me subjects that I've never spoken on here. So they, they probably think there's this guy that does all this stuff in their church. What I'm really pleased about is there's some people from Whitchurch here this morning that actually say to him, he doesn't normally do that stuff. The, uh, the only other complaint that I have is that is that they give you a huge piece of licorice to speak with. They get, they've got a great big black blob that sort of <laughs> comes down here. And you, you, the trouble is that it, I was born, what you don't know is that I actually was born cross-eyed. I was born with a squint. But this blob, you're trying to speak to people, and this thing is sort of here. And it's, it's, it's not doing my impediment very good at all. So when you go back, if they could get rid of the licorice, that would be wonderful. Uh, that would be good. But, and, uh, and then later on this week, that I, was, uh, I went to my first New Frontiers apostolic meeting. I went to the toilet first. Just do prepare me. Uh, We were locked away in a a, uh, room for two days. Uh, It was interesting because I I had no idea what I was uh, walking into. Uh, I walked into worship, I walked into prophesying, I walked into. friendship and lots of time for fellowship and then I walked into huge great things that they suddenly say now we want to hear you on this subject and I kept thinking they want to hear me what do they want to hear me for uh, and they did it was, it was quite, a, yeah, quite a different thing for me to uh, experience so I was prophesied over uh, several times I still need to share them with Callie. So before you get to hear them, I, will share them. I need to share them with my wife first. So if you've got a Bible, uh, 1 Peter 1, verses t- uh, 20 uh, to 21 is our text. But we're going to use some other verses as well. So hopefully this will work. There we go. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, uh, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Just another couple of verses to add to that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you know this. uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And another one, uh, famous to you, uh, Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We're on a series at the moment looking at 1 Peter and our passage points us to what is called the foreknowledge of God. That God knew Jesus before the foundation of the world. And our journey is to look at that passage and the two other great passages on the foreknowledge of God with the purpose being to find out what actually is the purpose of the foreknowledge of God. I'm just going to come a bit like that because... Nobody likes sitting here because I might pick on them. So uh, it's a bit disturbing. But actually, I wouldn't worry about you not sitting on there because I felt the Lord say to me today, pick on those on the back row. (laughs) So with that in thought and you worried, I'd like to just introduce you to six things to increase your hope in God. And they're in the passage in 1 Peter. Here's the first thing. Uh, that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's verse 20, uh, was was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God, the Father, knew and loved the Son, Jesus, before the universe was created. In other words, the one who shed his blood to pay your ransom to rescue from your futile living was no ordinary man. No ordinary man. And his plan of the ransom of you was no afterthought because creation went wrong. God knew Jesus. God knew the plan for Jesus in eternity. That's where it began. It all began there. It didn't all begin because it went wrong. It began as a perfect plan in eternity. Secondly, in the passage in Peter, he has appeared in these last times. Verse 20, Christ was made manifest in these last times. In other words, he existed before creation. He was in relationship with the Father. He was in relationship with the, with, uh, the Holy Spirit. He was, in many ways, invisible to human beings. But, is these times, Jesus has appeared and dwelt amongst men. He is here. He has appeared. The eternal Christ, the eternal Son of God, actually took on flesh and blood. That's why you can read in John uh, chapter 14, verse 19, if you have seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. There's, there could have been... No blood ransom for your sins had Jesus not appeared in human flesh. A man had to die for you. Jesus became a man. He had to have flesh and blood. He had to come. He had to be incarnate. He had to live amongst us. He had to talk, eat, walk. He had to listen to you. He had to be born and he had to die and he died a ransom for you. He has appeared amongst us. What an extraordinary privilege it is to know that the Son of God left the quality of heaven to dwell amongst people like you and I. We ought to to sort of wet ourselves at this part of the worship, have not we? Now we're going to have a public wetting. It ought to be like that, really. Jesus left heaven and came here. What is all that about? That is extraordinary. So why did he leave heaven and why are we having a public wedding? Here it is. Thirdly, he appeared for your sake. Isn't that mad? Isn't that mad? Verse 20 tells us for your sake. This should blow us away. We're talking about the infinitely powerful, the infinitely wise, the infinitely holy God of the universe, the divine son of God. (laughs) We're talking about eternity and all those sort of things. We're talking about things that we don't understand. Things that are just beyond us, things that are still yet to be revealed to us, and yet Somewhere in heaven, suddenly, um, there is this conversation that we can assume that has got that has gone on. And they say, we need a plan to redeem these people. Let's send Jesus for you. <laughs> what? I want to send you, Jesus, to gather a people for myself, for you, for us. What an extraordinary thing. That he would leave all the perfections of heaven, all the understanding of eternity, and become a man for your sake. For you. Well, I'm just wetting myself a bit more than I was. You know, if we can't get hold of that, if that does not stir you, um, only a Roman candle in inappropriate places might. It's just true. This is just extraordinary. The Son of God left heaven for me. That's how much He he thinks of you and I. I will leave the perfection of heaven for you. Goes on, says that God raised him from the dead. That's verse 21. He doesn't mention death because He's mentioned that before. He raised him from the dead. Why is that important to you? Why, is, why does that fill you from hope? Why does that stir you? Why does that, should that get under your... Well, Jesus rose from the dead. I know, it's a pragmatic argument. It's an apo, apologetic argument. No, it isn't. It never is. It was never designed for. The reason that you can rejoice is that because, Jesus, because God raised Jesus, God will raise you. That's the extraordinary thing. Our hope is not in our doing. It's in his doing on the cross. Every time we get to, to Easter, we ought to be building up to it. As we get, you know, We're building up. We're coming up towards Easter. What is Easter about? God raised Jesus. No, he didn't just raise Jesus. He raised you from the dead. That's the wonder of it all. Your sin died on the cross. You were raised with him. You are seated with him in heavenly places. The resurrection proves that you can have new life. I love this. Well, I do. Five, God gave him glory. Verse 21. In other words, God just didn't raise him from the dead and sort of say, well, that's it then. No, not at all that. He brought him into heaven. He sat him at the right hand of God and he rules in glory now in eternity. He, he, that's the wonder of it all. There's a man in heaven full of the majestic power of God. We will know that because when he returns, we will see him glorified. What is the, what is the issue of that with us? This is the way that we will be led also. He walked back into glory, we will walk back into glory. It's our path. His path is our path. We will be glorified. We will have a glorious body. You know, that brings me hope, doesn't it? Do you know, some of us might not lead easy lives. Some of us might have to go through extraordinary things and face extraordinary things. Some of us might have to face that question why and that working out of understanding. Why is this happening to me? Why, why am I like this? Why, why is all this sort of stuff? What is our hope for this? We will be glorified. Yeah. That's what fires me up. When I stand in glory. That's the thing. I will see his face. Aren't you just stirred by it? Just stood, but I, am, I'm, we're, I'm, you know, I know I now mention this all the time in my sermons, and that's because we're try- Callie and I are trying to lose weight. We're doing the green and the red thing, you know, and for those that know all about this sort of stuff. The trouble is that, that I realise that I don't know whether some of you older ones will understand this, you younger ones will not. I just smell a cake and it's six pounds. And I don't know quite what it is because when I was young, you could give me twenty cakes, blah, blah, and it would not affect any. I look at the things that I go past the shop, and it's three pounds. You know that sort of stuff. You look at them on the internet because you dream cakes when you're doing when all you're eating is you know. Would you like another, ban- another banana? You know, you know all that sort of stuff. You know, and you say you know I'm really hungry tonight. And you know, what you re- excuse me, just go. What you, what you really fancy is cheese and biscuits with branston pickle. What do you get offered? No, a mandarin orange. <laughs> that really does it for you. And so I, I know the failings of the body. Phil's yet to get there. He's still into the eating cakes, not dreaming cakes thing. <laughs> so it's the red dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what do you not realize? I mean, what we don't realize is, do you, do you ever think, of it? what might my perfect glorified body look like? Hey. That's got you dreaming, hasn't it? I I just I'm I'm going to get another foot on the legs. (laughs) I know that. So, and sixthly, through Christ we are believers in God. Uh, We go back to the beginning, verse 21, uh, where Peter says that through Christ you are believers in God. In other words, Christ has done all the necessary work to connect you to him in faith. He was eternally foreknown. He was manifest in human form. He shed his precious blood for you. God raised him from the dead. He's in glory so that you can experience glory and these things should give you hope. Should. You You should be the most hopeful people on the face of this earth. You ought to be able to have that thing, you know, walking down the road. Hope. That's you. No other people has the hope that you have. That's the fact of it. Do not let anybody say, oh, you know, don't. You are more hopeful than any other people on the face of this earth. The end of the paragraph uh, finishes by God saying that he's done everything through Christ so that uh, his people might uh, have faith and hope in God. But I want to take this a little bit further. I want to go a little bit deeper into this. Because I think we should we should go there. I think we should stir ourselves and say a little bit further. What does that mean in regard to hope? Well Romans uh, chapter eight and verses twenty nine says this for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that we might be the firstborn of amongst many brothers. Why does Paul, as well as Peter, give an importance to the foreknowledge of God? Rachel Harmon prophesied this. This, he believes that if we can grasp the understanding of the foreknowledge of God, that it will make us the freest people in all the earth. You know, few promises bring comfort, bring strength, bring, uh, are bought in readings In churches over the centuries, than Romans chapter 8, verses 28. All things work together for good for those who are loved and called according to uh, God's purpose. And we know those sort of things. How on earth does that verse work? How does it work, Phil Harmon, when you try to get to church and your exit off the motorway is blocked? How is my good being worked out then? How does it work? Do you often say that? How is my good being worked out then? Well, I want to suggest to you that often what we think is that we, ter- we term good as uh, I need my life to be a little bit easier and without complications. I want to say that we put an earthly good on it, not a heavenly good on it. I want to suggest to you that good refers to, uh, refers to Romans 8.29. Oh, that's interesting. Because what we want is that, what we said, all things should work so that I can have a little bit of pleasure and no hassle in my life. That, so that's what we do. So we say, oh no, I'm hassled. So Phil, it's just going to happen. By the way, it might happen on the way back. But why... Why does Romans 29 make us the free of all people? Because if we can grasp this doctrine, the doctrine of the foreknowledge of God, I, will be, I believe it will overcome your discouragement. I, will, I do believe that it will fight depression. Yep. I do believe that it will make you less irritable. So I need it. It will take away anxiety and has the power to release people from suicide. Because what it does is that it brings new life to old. That's the purpose of the foreknowledge of God when we get into it. It brings new life to old. So it can bring a new life to an old job that you just cheesed off with. It can breathe breathe new life into old marriages. It can bring new life into bad friendships. It can even breathe new life into churches that have got stale. It actually is a breather of life. It opens the future Invites us to dream dreams. It causes us to plan and pray. It will conquer sin and lust and greed and ambition. Why? Because it takes us from short-term substitutes and places us in eternal purposes. Amen. That's what the good is all about here. The pillars of the foundation are the, of the, the, fill, the pillars of the foundation are great. And unless they are in your life, your life will shake. So the foreknowledge of God is about what? It is about the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. This is the good. The good, all things working together, this is it. The doctrine of predestination. The doctrine of effectual calling. You're glad you came from which church now, aren't you? The, the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of glorification. And it is these truths, when the Apostle Paul says, if you know the truth, you, the truth will set you free, that he's talking about... These are the ones that, you, that set you free. It isn't a ministry time that sets you free or a little bit of warm sense. It is the truth that always sets you free. And if you move into the truth of the foreknowledge of God and the election and predestination and justification and glorification, these will set you free. Amen. Why do I know that? Because that's what Calvin and Luther said. And they're just better than me. This is just an introduction to it, by the way. (laughs) It also avoids small and distorted visions of God. If we do not know these doctrines of grace, our vision of God will always be small, it will always be disfigured, and your good will always be whether you had marmalade on your toast or whether you opened it and the marmalade was a bit green this morning. That will always be how it will be. And suddenly what happens is that, is that if you do not have these in place, your vision of God gets very, very small. Therefore, you get frustrated about life because the little things just irritate you. And you retreat into this like little religious subculture where suddenly something happens and you, you, are, you begin to, to pray about little tiny things. I have to say... I, I watched um, Bargain Hunt, is it? And they had a pair of Christians on it. And I tell you what, I wanted to email the BBC and apologise because I'm just going to be careful because you might have done it. Because what they did is that I was just thinking the we've got two Christians. Chosen, elected, justified, ransomed, restored, whatever. And then what do they say? And they say? Tell us a little about, you, about your faith. We pray for car parking spaces. <sighs> All things work together for good to those who love. And you kept thinking, and what happens when you don't get them? Because, and what you've done is re, you've reduced God into a little tiny thing that acts for you no, God is not like that. He's eternal, he's massive, he's great, he's beyond those things. It doesn't matter to you, a fig, whether you get a car parking space or not. It's not about that sort of stuff. It is about election and glorification and doctrine, such of that. These are the things that we must be tied up in. If I'm tied up in a parking space, what has God become? We've put him on the shelf. It's my little car parking God. Do you know they have those in Hong Kong? You think, what have I done? You see, the God, my God, becomes the God of my sore toe. Got a sore toe this morning. You know, (sighs) it does. God wants us to grasp this because we get a massive vision of God. Huge vision of God. Also, it will prevent triviality in worship. (sighs) Do not sin, Nigel. Do you know, sometimes you know. Just read your notes. Read your notes, Dunstan. Look, you know. Let me just say this: just one thing, just as a little thing. It's not. It's not about us worship. We don't gather. We don't gather to. It's about Him. I am amazed at the place. I have the privileges now that, that I go to different places. I'm just amazed that in the middle of worship, you get a sore toe prayer. That suddenly, you're in the middle of this and, and there's this massive thing going, God's eternal, God's magnificent, God is great, our God is greater, and all that sort of stuff. And you're thinking, yes, yes. And you're thinking, Lord Jesus, please heal me from my toe. And, and, thinking, and suddenly, I don't know whether you do this, but my thoughts have just gone, vroom, boom. And they're on the floor. And that is because we've not grasped the fundamental thing. The fundamental thing is that worship is about God. It's about his worth, not mine. If you want to pray about toast, stick him in the prayer meeting. It's just like, and you go around and you think, come on, no, come on. When you see, this, why when we looked at some of those things this morning, well, that's why we ought to be all, you know, we all ought to have nappies, really. As we come in, issue the nappies, because they are such exciting things. Do they not thrill you? Do they not get hold of you? Do they not move you to do almost anything that you can to please the Lord? We gather to please Him. These not you know, dear, He's God. It's about his rights. It's not about mine. I have no rights. I gave them up. I'm a slave to him. It's about his. He's all glorious. He's all powerful. It's all about him. And even unless we get these doctrines of the foreknowledge of God into our mind, our worship will always be about my toe. Bless your toe. Why is it also important before we just break it up? It's because it's God's word. <laughs> I haven't got any more to say that. Um, please just read the Word. It's just God's Word. We should obey it. Amen. We should just obey it. So, let's try and explain it, i having mean, upset a few people. What is the meaning of, the, for, of the, the word foreknowledge? It means the words just know, foreknown, choose, to set favor upon. Isn't that wonderful? That I, I know the favor of God not because i have become a christian right now but because it existed in eternity for me yes. god placed his favor on me in eternity before before i knew anything myself about sin that is wonderful it's the word acknowledge i don't think we need to add any more than that it just means that he knew he knew the wonderful thing is about this is that he knew what he was taking on too. Yeah. He set his favor on you, he chose you, he adopted you, he acknowledged you before the, the foundation of the world. Does that make you feel secure? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Here's just a negative and a positive way that we can understand that. There are loads of scriptures. Matthew 7:23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's negative. For the foundation of the world, he never knew them. That's how that works. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 3. If anyone loves God, one is known by God. You're loving him because he knew you. That's it. Well, I'm loving him because he's great. No, you're loving him because he first knew you. Your your love for him is because he first loved you. That's the way it works. And that love began before the foundation of the world. I am very excited. Romans chapter 8 says, He foreknew and he also predestined. That means that God's appointment of the destiny of his people is based on his prior election. And this election is not based on any foreseen faith uh, that we could produce by some power or a bit of self-determination, no. The plan of redemption uh, was never uh, to include you at all. It was only to, con- to include Him. And we need to separate those two things. We need to separate foreknowledge and predestination. And I'm going to try and do that for you. Because what we try and do sometimes is that we put those two things together. And they're not. They're two different things. And let me tell you this. You can rejoice in being chosen. You can also rejoice in being predestined. They're two different things. Denzel, hang on to your hat. Okay. What is the aim of predestination for our goods? Remember that? I said that good was this. Good is not your toe. Good is this. Okay. Just to make sure that. Let me try and read from my notes. Predestination does not refer to the choice of who will be saved. That's that's not what we're talking about here. It refers to the destiny appointed for those who are chosen. First, God chooses. That is, He unconditionally sets His favour upon you. First, He chooses. Then, He destines that you will have a glorious role in eternity. He predestines First he chooses, then he gives you a destiny. Paul mentions this in two parts. And I want to take you through those two parts and then we'll look at the aims of it. So first of all is this, Paul mentions it in two parts. Uh, For the foreknown or the chosen, one relates to our good, the other refers to Christ's glory. So one's for our good, the other one is about Jesus. How do I know that? Uh, Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says this, And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The aim of predestination... And how it relates to our good is that we are appointed to share in the glory of the risen Christ, both morally, <laughs> in blameless righteousness, and physically in a resurrection body like His. This destiny is the glorification that Paul refers to. Those He justified, He glorified. It's underway right now. <laughs> right now. You are being changed into one degree of glory to another. It's the work of the Spirit. That's it. That's the wonderful thing. What does predestination do? It predestines that God's destiny for you is to be changed from one degree of glory to another. That's the process that you've engaged on. That's what happened when you became a Christian. That God said, I want them to be changed from one degree of glory into another. It is underway by the Spirit, will be completed in heaven where you will be eternally and perfectly glorified. I'm very excited about that. God wants me to be changed, God wants me to experience His glory. We mustn't do you really hear that, folk. There are some of you that think right now, well, I'm not sure whether this is for me. Whether you know, I you know, just stand back. A little. No, God wants you to experience His glory. What Moses could not face, you can face. That's wonderful. What Moses had the tail end of, you are working through in your lives. You can experience Christ's glory in in greater measure for the rest of your life, even if you can't contain all of it right now. There's more glory to come. Do you think that's wonderful? Do you know, I have to admit, I love worshipping near Denzel. Kelly and I, excuse Denzel and Dorothy, have had this conversation Sometimes when we drive in the car, we've often said, you know, who do we want to be like when we're old? Uh. <laughs> and one of the things that Cullen and I have said, and I know that Denzel and Dorothy will be very embarrassed about this, is that I just want to worship when I'm Denzel's age like Denzel worships. I don't know if you've ever been by him sometimes the other, the other meeting he suddenly went the Holy Ghost is here and Denzel was all over the place and I thought I want to be like that I want to be still going from one degree of glory to another if you stand by him he's acknowledging great truths all the time he's praying, he's shouting out to Jesus, he loves Jesus and I don't want to put him on a pre- pedestal at all and he wouldn't want me to do that but I, what I want to say to you is Denzel journey is this one he's yeah. sort of saying no there's still more to come there's still more experience of jesus i know that i'm this age i know that this body is frail but i'm going to go for it because there's glory to come i yeah. oh, do you want to be like that sort of like heaven's door opens and and glory's not a surprise no you just think no i is such an example for me in worship I don't want to be a 20 year old passionate person. I want to be a 90 year old passionate person. In fact, I want to be a 90 year old doing the 20 year olds out. Yeah. It's me. Because there's glory for me to come. Yeah. And some of you older ones, you need to know that. You have not finished. There's glory for you to be had. Yeah. Don't stop. Take it. it only, there's only. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to wait now. I'm 70. And I'm going to live till I'm 90 and the glory that I had was when I was 25. It's not worth it, no. Change from one degree of glory into another to come. It's wonderful. This is the aim of our predestination. Secondly, the aim of our predestination is although it is for you, it's for him also. The ultimate goal of God's eternally predestined plan of salvation does not finish on a human being. It terminates on Him. It is always about Jesus. His glory has the preeminence over our glory. (laughs) Do you hear that? He matters more than you. It's what John the Baptist came to discover. God destined us... To share in Christ's glory so that we can point back to his glory. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We're conformed to his image. We experience glory after glory. It points back to him. It is always about not my changing, but, but what he has done. So when God created a second born and a third born, and a millionth born, and a 60 millionth born, and a billionth born, it might be that his son would be exalted. That his son might be praised. That the predestination of us all is that Jesus has the preeminence in all things. It is all about His glory. and not, So as we're changing from one degree of glory into another, we're saying, this is not about what my benefits are. This is about Him. This is always about Him. I was just away for a, a few days uh, last week, and uh, I felt God speak to me, and I felt that I ought to share it with the guy that was leading the meeting, which is, isn't always good because uh, they're the big guys, aren't they? And this was a New Frontiers apostolic leader. And I felt that God had a word for, for him. And for a while I just thought, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. Because I was nervous, I was the new guy and all that sort of stuff. And they were being friendly and being very kind, but I battled with it like you battle with, you know, should I share something? on So we're just the same. So in the end, I thought I would go for it because what happened is they said, look, we'd like to put the guy in the middle and pray for him. And I thought, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. And my word was simply this, why me? Why me? And I felt just to say to him, why me is, is the answer to everything. It is the answer about grace. It's the answer about every Why me? So anyway, I just stood up and you know, just put my hand on his chest and said, why me? And he just went, vroom. And I thought, okay, <laughs> right. And this and stuff. And I just felt to say to him, look, the apostolic message is why me? Because that's the way that this is all about. It is, why me? First of all, it begins, why me? And then you think, now I understand what why me is about. It's about why me, yes, but and in the end, it isn't about me. <laughs> it's it's the wonder of it is why me why did god choose the next thing is that he chose me to glorify him why me is the wonder but it is about him the apostolic message is why me the wonder of it is it's about jesus it is all about him i'm just um, amazed the unmistakable unspeakable wonder about the predestination is, is this. It is about the glorification of Jesus. We are about giving him the glory. Yeah. So let's try and anchor this practically. God's choice for individuals then Ephesians chapter one, verses four and six, "Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. God's choice of individual uh, for salvation. God's purpose in the salvation of his people is absolutely invincible. It cannot fail. Why can it not fail? Why, is, why do we need to know that? We need to know that because it gives us all the security that we have in regard to our faith. Verse 4, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Our security is not in our behavior here. Our security is not in how we feel. It is in a decision in eternity. We were chosen in Him. In Him. Your salvation did not begin with your choice to believe. a choice which you thought was real and necessary, your salvation began before the foundation of the world. God planned the history of redemption that would include you. He ordained the death. He ordained the resurrection. He chose you through His own Son. You were chosen in Him. In Him. It's wonderful. The glorious, unshakable objective of, of, the, of understanding this is that you might be secure? That's why the Apostle Paul says, I want you to consider your calling. Why is that important? Why is the Apostle Paul saying that? Why do we pass those phrases? Because what it does is that it brings security. If I if I if I consider my calling, I consider when the calling happened. It stirs me to worship. It stirs me towards God. It gives me a firm foundation. I can serve Him gloriously because I consider these things. Paul said the other thing: Let him not boast. Not let him who boasts boast in the Lord. What what is the what should we do? Be boasting? Surely we should be. Oh no, we, Of course, we're boasting in the Lord. What we're saying is, look, I'm looking at this. My boast is the boast of assurance. God chose me. God plotted me out. God wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. All of this is about him and not about me. Bringing peace and confidence and courage and strength. How can I go into any situation? Because I can consider my calling. Just can, can do that. I think there's some wonderful verses. Don't you think of Romans chapter 8, verse 33? The Apostle Paul is working all these things about all things work together for good and those predestined and all that sort of stuff. And suddenly he says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? The answer is that he wants them to answer that. He wants them to go, no one. Why can't they? Because we were chosen in the foundation of the world. Who can bring a charge against you? Do you hear that prophetically from the Word of God? Who can bring a charge against you? The answer is always no one. No one. (laughs) But it's more than that. I think one of the most saddest feelings of the world is that your life is going nowhere. That you are alive, but that's about it. I'm just existing You feel like there's no point in being alive. But you do have an occasional daydream. And sort of your daydream goes something a bit like this, is that, you know, maybe I could move here, or maybe I could be the boss of this, and maybe I could run out as a Wolverhampton Wanderers player against Manchester United with little legs. You have, maybe we could have a cruise a bigger house maybe it could be all that and you have these dreams and you lie in bed stroking the sheet feeling that these should be silk as i lie there and purple at that and you just lie there don't look at me like that well i know we haven't got purple sheets but i know somebody who has But I'm not going to tell you. That's made you think, and I'm not going to tell you either. Now you can ask me. But it's true. But you sort of dream, and then suddenly, I don't know whether this happens to you, but you wake up and you wake up, and reality is harsh, because what you are dreaming about and what you're experiencing are two different things. You think, well, you know, I, I don't. I, am I trapped into this for the rest of my life? Is this it? Is this how it's going to be? Will I always work in accident and emergency for the rest of my life on a Saturday night? Is this it? I want to suggest to you that maybe you are looking at the wrong things and secondly, that this, that God does know that we have a need for a meaningful and purposeful future. We are not made to live without dreams. We're not not made to live without a destiny. We were made to be meaningful and to enjoy life and have a future. So I want to just, in closing, give you something so that you know what your future is. Because I do believe that people get these things mixed up. They look for things that actually the Bible has not promised. And they replace them with these things. Firstly, I want us to look at that. Destiny and predestination. Even as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What is your destiny? What are you destined for? Purple sheets? No. Rubbish? God destined you for sonship. That's what God promises you for your. And the reason that He promises you is, is this. He says, This is better. That's the issue here. That's the, if you grasp these, these are the things that give you purpose to life. It's sonship, adoption. I've adopted you, has sons. Why am I saying those things? Because these are the things that can help you. These are the things that won't. You have to wash purple sheets, I believe. But sonship is eternal. Our destiny from the creation of the world is that we would become his children. That was an outstanding destiny. I want you in my family. I want you to come into my world. Isn't that extraordinary? I want you to come here. Now the difference between predestination, just so that we've got this, she's mentioned in verse 5, an election again, she's mentioned in verse 4, is that election refers to God's freedom in choosing whom he will predestine, and predestination refers to the goal of the destiny, just so that we've got that again. So he chose us, he chose us so that we might become, that we might be destined to be his children, What was God's purpose? Why did he choose you, Denzel? His purpose was so that you might become his son. That you might become in his family. That you might take on his family likeness. You might become his. The Lloyd Christmas is strange. It is made up of some bizarre things that have come down history. And that's, if you come into our house, sometimes you will wonder why these things are happening. Why they are. And you think, well, why am I doing this? It's because it's a Lloyd family Christmas, okay? There is no other reason than this. Why do we do what we do? Because we're Lloyds. That's it. What is your destiny? What is my destiny beyond that? My destiny is, is I've walked into the family of God. And now I'm in God's family and I do God's stuff. I do it God's way. That's the idea. Sometimes people struggle. They say, why am I struggling with this? Why is the struggle here? Because God has called you into the family, but I, I don't want to quite be there. I don't want to do this. Why am I not released? Why am I not free? Why am I not enjoying this? Because actually you haven't said, I'm a son and I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to enjoy the heavenly father Christmas party the way that he wants to do it. You are designed to do it his way and not your way. That's where your release comes. That's what sonship is all about. We obey the Father. Your release comes from being like the Father. You can't go, go to the Father and say, well, actually, I want to be in your family, but I want to do it my way. We do that in churches, don't we? We sort of join a church and then we say, well, we want to change this. No, we, we join into His family. We're His sons. We do it His way. That's where the release comes. Go on a little bit further. It tells us what is our destiny. that We should be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's the practical content. (laughs) That we would take on the form of our Heavenly Father. That we would be holy and blameless in love. Let's just look at that before I drop the UG. Here it is, in love. Notice I'm going to do a naughty thing in Scripture. But I'm allowed to do it because the Greek does it. You could make in love part part of both verses and it's very important and you can do that because the Greek allows you to do it so here's the difference verse 4 he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love <laughs> he loved us he loves us enough to want us to represent him by being holy and blameless What is the motivating thing for being holy and blameless? His love. It's simply that. It's true. The reason that you are not holy and blameless... It's not because you have to try and do this. If I do this, put that hat on, put this tie on, this suit, walk in this way, say praise the Lord a lot. Those are the things. Make me holy and blameless. No, they don't. When you love Jesus, when you give your life to him, when you're passionate about him, you become holy and blameless. You become the person that you worship in love. The other way is reading it is he predestined us in love into sonship. Here it refers to God and tells us the way that He predestined. He didn't just choose you; He loves to choose you. Isn't that wonderful? Well, I did, didn't just sit there one day and think, All right, "What I'll do is that I'll get out my Nobo board, flip back the chart, and write Chris Adams one." Think a little bit, ponder. Two, Rachel Adams. Three, let me think. Bill, no. I didn't say who, but but he didn't do that. It wasn't like that. It was love that caused him to choose you. He loved to choose you. He was in love with you. He was blindly in love with you. It was love that motivated him to... just didn't make a list. He was stirred by... You moved his heart. That's why he delights over you with singing in heaven. Because he was moved by you. Yeah. Do you know that you have moved the heart of God? Yeah. That is extraordinary, folks. You think, oh my goodness, I don't feel loved. Balderdash! It, and, that, and I did that without swearing. It is impossible for you not to be loved, folks. Let me hear this. It is a it a, is a, a satanic evil lie. It is impossible for you not to be loved. You cannot be any more loved than you are right now. In love, he chose you to be his sons. In love. It's wonderful. You could go poke somebody in the street and go, hey, I'm loved. <laughs> don't say that I told you, but you can do that. You know, sometimes people say, I don't feel the love of God. It is utter poppycock. It is. That's why you need to know this, because the truth sets you free. You go back to the truth and you say, No, the truth says in love, I'm predestined. I'm loved before the foundation. I'm so... You go back to the truth, the truth that sets you free, folks. That's what you do. You gotta go oh, on. I don't feel a little bit ugly this morning. You cannot feel ugly. It's impossible. It is. You were birthed out of an explosion of love by the Trinity. Well, I like it. But it gets higher. But that's not your highest destiny, not your sonship. Your highest destiny is in verse 6. Why has God predestined you into sonship? Why does he want you to be holy and blameless? Why does he want you to know his love? To the praise of his glory and grace. Our holiness and our blamelessness and our love and our sonship are not ends in in themselves. We've discussed this. It is to the praise of his, the glory of God's grace. The ultimate goal in everything is that we might reflect his grace. That's our highest destiny. Your highest destiny is worship. It is. I was extraordinary because we went away for two days. I thought, this is going to be mad because we've got to talk about big things in New Frontiers. And I was sort of driving in traffic jams, not driving really very well, but I was nudging forward in second gear. And I kept thinking, well you know, I've never been in a meeting like this what are we going to do we got you know there's, there's 600 churches and you know all this stuff there's Brighton conferences and prayer and fasting. things I it was going to come thick and I was going things like can you imagine the agenda the agenda must be huge and I go and all this sort of stuff and I was really sort of you know Whoa, well, no, well this is going to be like I arrived and there's a blank piece of paper and a pen on my seat and I'm no agenda so and I know this is make all the admin people, they go, mm, mm, And so they started the meeting with coffee, and I looked at this, and I thought, there's no, everybody's got a blank piece of paper and a pen. Nobody has an agenda. And then I thought, somebody must. The event, the agenda will be revealed. And what was really interesting is that they opened up like this, and they said like this, we have no agenda over these next two days. And I went, oh, what am I going to do? and they said the agenda is this we are gathered to Jesus and he said if we do nothing then we've done our primary calling which is to worship the Lord and I thought am I going to explain this to Kelly and then I thought the church has paid for me how am I going to explain this to Steve because Steve's going to say and what did you do well we worshipped for two days and did you discuss major things in near frontiers well don't ask me that question we worshipped for two days And the bloke said this, we are about We are always about Jesus. Always. It came through Jesus. So it stays with you. Everything. You were predestined through him. Through him. He has done that for you. He brought you into it. We'll move on because I want to finish. (sighs) But here's the mad thing. You've probably heard me say this story before. Uh, one of the mad things about my life is that, that I was a, the product of a visit to Weymouth. <laughs> it is true. And what. See, uh, and the reason that I'm a product, is, and that, you see, if I was the Beckhams, I'd be called Weymouth. <laughs> and from now on, you could call me Weymouth Lloyd. And the reason that I'm a product, of of Weymouth is that you see now you, all the ones that laugh will now feel a little bit guilty, and all the ones that have been to Weymouth and all those that are in here, are now need to sorry you need to ask your mom about that Abigail, which now would you ask your dad about it? That would be better, yeah, because your dad would love to answer that question. And the reason that I am this is that is that this is the conversation, this is the true conversation that went through. My mom has as I've said before, had lost two children. Two girls, uh, and uh, they lived for a little while, and we they lost them. And so my dad, to me, was always old. He was uh, 40-odd when I was born. And uh, so you know, to my dad, I, you know, he, was, he was an older guy uh, to me when I, when I was growing up. And one of the conversations that they, they had is that, and, and probably think, should, should we keep trying? I'm sorry about this, Abigail. I'll just put your fingers Should we keep trying? And the conversation that they had was that Weymouth would be one last go Weymouth <laughs> this is Weymouth so here you go you can take it's alright Abigail and There, we're alright and that sort of stuff the question is that I have had all my life and, and the ones that know me will ask this is I have two questions one one why why didn't my two sisters live that's my question if one sister had lived would, would there have been a Weymouth If two sisters lived, would there have been a Weymouth? And those sort of things go round in my mind. And probably in your situation, there are things that you've got things like that. that You just think, I'm not sure. And the ultimate ground and their deepest foundation of becoming brainless and wholly in love, experiencing sonship, is that there is a deeper ground to all this that just takes us into the realm of not understanding, but actually wonder. And that is, there is a sovereign free will of God. That is beyond me. It just is. Verse five says this: God predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to good the good pleasure of His will. Do you hear that? You are the product of His good pleasure. It pleased Him to choose you. When He wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, He had a laugh. Nigel Lloyd <laughs> Nigel, he just, 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 it was his great I know you laughed but I mean he laughed and the point of this text is to teach every believer in this morning that we owe our adoption into his family to hit the good pleasure of his will we were chosen before the foundation of the world we were predestined to sonship we were predestined for holiness through love We were caused to be blameless. Blameless, that's mad. It was not according to what we'd done. It was not according to what we'd understood. It was not according to who our parents were. It was not according to our race. It was not according to our religious background. It wasn't according to where we had lived. It was not according to our work ability. It was not according to our status or our wealth. He was not according to our will at all. Mm-hmm. We were chosen and predestined according to his good pleasure mm-hmm. of, and his will. Yeah. The point of the double phrase, not just according to his will, but good pleasure, is that you might grasp what the, the understanding that you are favoured. Yeah. You are favoured. I want to say that prophetically to some of you this morning you favoured. The favour of God is his good pleasure. Why did he save you? He loved to do it. He just loved it. (laughs) Isn't that mad? The good pleasure of his will. You know, I don't know whether you're like me, but I think that I won't understand the whole thing about the pleasure of his goodwill till I get to eternity. I'm just not going to do it. I do know, uh, and that's for another day that my two sisters are in glory and I will meet them. (laughs) It's going to be good that they will have a new body. That's gone, I know that. But I don't understand. But one thing that I do understand is this. He just did this because he wanted to. (laughs) And therefore, I am one of the most privileged people on the face of this earth. Yeah. And my answer is: that is, d- why should I be grumpy then? Yeah. I've got no reason to be grumpy, have I? I've got no reason to complain that my purple sheets are not here. They're after sleeping cotton ones. I've got no reason to complain that I drive a Citroen Picasso and Steve Hawkins drives a Mercedes. I've <laughs> got no... Not a worry about that, have I? God wanted to save me. <laughs> it's just badness. What am I about? Ah, oh, I'm a recipient of the good pleasure of God's will. <laughs> Please stand. Um, I just want to pray. Because I I just feel that some of you need to know the pleasure of God. <coughs> and I just want to pray that I don't know whether you want to sing something. Pardon? Something upbeat. Something upbeat? Yeah. Do you fancy an upbeaty one? Mm-hmm. You fancy a little dance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well you know I will. <laughs> and yes, I I will look an idiot while you all stand there, but who cares? I just want to pray. Uh, because I just want to pray, just for people, while, you, while you're moving that way, guys, I just want to pray for some people that I just think that they battle with the pleasure of God. And I just want to pray for you, if I may, let's just lift our hands together. Holy Spirit, this is not about me, and this is not about either doing anything other than aligning ourselves with your word. And Father, I want to pray for anybody this morning that just feels that God could never love them in this way. And I just thank you that it is is a (laughs) non-argument. I want you to know the pleasure of God. I want you to know that when you were chosen, it was of his good pleasure He wanted to. He loved you. It was his pleasure. It was his delight. It was his gift to you. I want you to know that when you were saved, that heaven exploded over you. I want you to know that. I want you to know uh, that mighty men of God that went before you danced in heaven over you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that that day has not stopped in heaven that you have someone who looks at you and is pleased. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. And I want you to know that there will be a day when heaven's doors opened and you will be welcomed, not as a failure and as a mess up and somebody that has cocked one or two things up in life, But actually, you'll be welcomed, welcoming, good and faithful servants. Come in, my son. Come in, my son. Come and enjoy me. And Father, Holy Spirit, I want to ask you for the revelation of pleasure to come right now. The Father is pleased with you. The Father is pleased with you. The righteousness of Christ is upon you. The sonship has been given to you. You adopted, chosen before the foundation of worlds. You are His. Hallelujah. Amen.